and we're live for episode 33 of the Wake Up Podcast. And this is a this is a special ep. It's another what I try and define as my Hall of Fame series, which is when I bring two guests on. Um, and this one in particular is one I've been looking forward to for a while. It's called uh, we're calling it the Bitcoin Plebs, and I have two fine gentlemen with me. I have. Pirate Beachbum, the um, the godfather of the plebs, uh, aka he calls himself a scrub, or the way I would say it is the pleb of all plebs, who's been sort of riding in the space for the last four or five years, and um, he's interviewed many, many Bitcoiners uh, over that time. And then on the other corner, I have Hodlonaut, so the founder of Citadel 21, the cat, as everyone knows him as, um, and the dude who launched the first lightning torch. So gentlemen, thank you both for for coming on have i have i introduced you appropriately yeah thank you man i think it works uh <laughs> i totally think uh, i think it's very cool that uh i'm allowed to be here with pirate i mean he's uh, he's the godfather of the plebs and uh i really like uh like his take on the community and bitcoin oh well absolutely i'm i'm nobody special as i always say i'm just a scrub and and uh i'm I'm just glad that we've rallied enough people to be plebs with, or plebs, plebs with us, however you want to say it. Well, speaking, yeah. speaking of plebs and plebs, well, I'm, I'm actually curious. So the first question I've got for you boys uh, is, how, what, what does it mean? And, and I, I mean, when I say it, I say pleb, but um, what, what does it mean for you guys uh, in, in, on an individual, your individual perspectives of like, what, what does it mean to be a pleb? Um, you know, in, in your eyes, and, and in particular, Bitcoin play, like, t- talk me through that, talk me, talk me through, you know, what, what, what inspired that as a, um, as an idea or as a notion, um, particularly for Bitcoin. Yeah, you go pirate. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, it's a, it started as a joke, um, just because, like, we were at a time in Bitcoin where there was a lot of people who were considered, like, influencers, they were, you know, like, exerting their influence on on their Twitter following to get them to do certain things. And so like anytime that you would disagree with them, they would tend to utilize their following and their influence to sick their people onto you. And so it just started as like, Hey, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just a, I'm just a pleb and, and you know, what do I know kind of thing. And, um, and so it kind of just evolved in from that, like, like a pleb is just anyone. It's just our average person who gets into this space and, and just is here for Bitcoin. And, and we kind of, we kind of took it further and, and uh, we made a joke out of, um, you know, we call ourselves taco plebs uh, because at that time, uh, sorry, plebs or plebs, however you want to say it. I know there was some, some serious discussion. I probably bastardized the name and called it a plebe when I probably should have called it a pleb because that's what I do. I spell like shit and sometimes I don't speak, you know, correctly. So whatever you want to call it. So at any rate, um, there were, there was all these conferences going on and, and Hoddle and I, and I would just kind of joke about it. And, so I, I just randomly pulled this picture of these tacos around a, a table and it, I called it the whatever, the taco carnivore um, Satoshi round table. And basically it was, we wanted to be an inclusive group because we felt that the the meat eaters or the carnivore Bitcoiners were just getting a little too like niche and they were like, you know, 
becoming their own little gang. So um, <laughs> as you can see, it was a joke. So at any rate, but it resonated. And really what it was is a battle cry for just regular people to to speak up and to realize that we all have a voice in this in this space. And like, even if you just, you know, have, you know, a few, a few tenths of a Bitcoin, like you are just as much as a Bitcoiner as anyone is. And, you know, if you're around here and you're and you're caring, you you passionately love Bitcoin as much as we do, then I think you should have a voice and no one should be able to tread on that. And I, I may disagree with it, but I should be, you should be allowed to have your opinion just as anyone else should have their opinion. And so that's yeah. in a nutshell, what it, what, how Pleb started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were, we were seeing a lot of people who like, there's this tendency to start taking yourself too seriously as you grow a following. And uh, like the signal getting diluted and uh, the realness just leaking away as the, as the amount of followers and your status grows. Uh, you see that a lot. And uh, I think this whole carnivore thing, I, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I've tried out the carnivore thing myself. I eat shitloads of meat, but it kind of became a dogma where this was like a cape that you put on that if you were like a really legit Bitcoiner, you were also a carnivore. And it was just, uh, it, it was Pirate who came up with the taco thing and I, I thought it was so hilarious from the first time. So I played played back back on it and uh, it became it became a thing. And it was really cool as Pirate said with the, that a lot of people actually thought that these uh, taco round tables were a real thing and that we were feasting <laughs> on tacos inside some secret uh, cabal of plebs. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's happening in some fucking parallel universe. Um, 100%. So where did, where did, the, where did the, the, the carnival thing emerge from? Was that sort of more, um, was that Bitstein and stuff like that? Or did it sort of start before that? Where, where did that sort of emerge from? I think, I think Bitcoiners have a tendency to pick up trends pretty fast. And a lot of really uh-huh. yeah good good trends. I mean yeah, Bitcoiners have some characteristics uh, as being like catching signal out there. I think, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know exactly. I think Bitstein was early. But, uh, Safer Dean it, too. All those guys. Yeah, they just. Yeah. I mean, and I have no beef with the carnivore diet. I've tried it too, mm-hmm. and I felt great on it. Um, but it just. But like, like you know, Hadonat said, it, it was just getting to be this signal, and it was just like yeah. almost like. Yeah. It was kind of, they were having these, you know, these carnivore <laughs> dinners at all the conferences. And so yeah. we just felt that tacos are just way more tasty. And like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I love steaks, but you can, you can have a taco a hundred different ways. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, lot, lot more flair in a taco for sure. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Cause, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I think one, one thread I want to pull on there is Hodl and Ops said the, the idea that Bitcoin is, have this capacity to, to sense, it's almost like a sixth sense. Like, you know, we, you know, and I've spoken to people about this earlier is um, me, me and Giacomo did it, I think on episode 25, where he kind of talked about this model of how you've got people who understand tech very well, people who understand economics, and then people who understand, um, you know, ethics and morality and philosophy. And sort of mm-hmm. if, if you, if you draw a Venn diagram somewhere in the intersection of all of those three things is you have, people who are fundamentally Bitcoiners because we sort of, we, we, we're not, you know, we're not specialists in the sense that, you know, we might have specialties outside of Bitcoin, but we're, we're, we're quite kind of like generalists uh, across like, you know, discovering principles that seem to 
to map across multiple disciplines or multiple ideas and everything like that. And we seem to kind of yeah. converge on these ideas that make sense. So what's, um, hold on, what, what's your sort of uh, theory around why Bitcoiners seem to converge on, you know, these call them truths really quickly? I think it's, uh, it's very much connected to our uh, ability to perform low time preference uh, that we have realized the power of low time preference like with, uh, like if you find something that is true uh, like that and you verify it and you find out it's actually true uh, and this thing uh, is of such a nature that sticking to it over time rewards you which is Bitcoin I think that translates very much into for example discovering or looking for actual truths in what is good for our bodies and our minds and uh, following through on actually implementing that into our lives as uh, life choices, like eating shit that makes us feel good instead of instant gratification through sugar or bullshit. I think it's that's a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Pirate, do you have some comments on that, man? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could go a lot of different directions with this, but I just... I feel like anybody who's been in Bitcoin long enough, they have conviction and like yeah. they've been through some tough times and they've, they've been made to even question themselves at times. And like, as you've been in this, this, on this journey, you know, and you kind of prove shit wrong over and over, you, you it just gains your confidence. And so yeah. I think that's kind of that, emanates a little bit from Bitcoiners and it, and it, and it makes them also be able to call out bullshit um, because it gives you confidence to like, not think like everyone else. And, yeah. and in my whole life, I thought it was a curse. And actually, as I'm finding out in my older age, it's, it's, it's a blessing to, to have the ability to, yeah. to think pragmatically and outside the box. We don't look at, it's not for Bitcoiners. It's not like we look at the herd and think that what the herd does is what we should do as well. It's like pretty much unimportant to us, I think. We just try to find out what works best instead and do it. And we're not, uh, we don't have a problem with uh, differentiating ourselves from the rest of the herd. Uh, I think most Bitcoiners have experienced some kind of social stigma, both as a Bitcoiner and maybe other choices they have made in their lives. But I also think they don't give much of a fuck what other people think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, you know, what, what I find is this, like, how can I say this right? A couple of years ago, like I got asked, uh, you know, the, the Peter Thiel question um, when I was seeing some investors and, you know, and the Peter Thiel question is, you know, what is something uh, that you believe is true that very few people agree with you on? Um, and, you know, that, that I think is the ultimate contrarian yeah. question. And for me, um, the answer that I gave at the time, it was just straight up, I said, Bitcoin. And then sort of, they looked at me funny, they're like, well, huh? And I was like, yeah, I think Bitcoin is the ultimate contrarian thing. It's because the mainstream doesn't like it. Governments don't like it. Um, crypto doesn't like it. Blockchainers don't like it. Fucking meth heads, you know, Ethereum don't like it. None, none of these guys like it. It's like this sort of this ultimate, this, this piece of objective truth that is, that is rooted in first principles that everybody seems to be against, except for a few maniacs, which, you know, are these early Bitcoiners. Um, 
And, you know, it, it requires like, in order to, to understand something contrarian as that, I think, like you sort of said, is you need to be someone who is contrarian uh, in nature and, and, and not contrarian like these fucking dumbasses in BSV who are like, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, uh, now I'm betting against Michael Saylor and Tesla and this and that. But I still believe it's like that kind of contrarianism is the kind that says, oh, it's a good idea to drive on the wrong side of the road or, you know, I don't believe in gravity. So I'm going to jump out the fucking window. So that's not contrarianism. That's stupidity. But I think contrarianism to me is sort of defined by finding something that is, you know, objectively fucking true, that is rooted in some sort of natural law or first principles, and then having the balls and the courage to, you know, to, to, to stand up for that in spite of, um, you know, some ash experiment, some, some live action ash experiment, which is, you know, telling you that it's not the fucking truth, but, you know, you turn around and say, no, fuck you, it is. Um, so, so I don't know if you guys echo that. Um, I assume you do. Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. Go on. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just no, going to say, go just growing up, where I, the way that I grew up, I think. Um, I don't know. I think it just prepared me for what I where, like, I I've talked about this before, but I grew up in surfing and skating, and like, there's no try in those sports you either do it or you don't and you know you can't you can't just talk about it and say that I do these things um you just have to go out there and do them and and in the hierarchy of those of those sports you know your your social status is is earned by how good you are or by how hard you charge um and so you don't even have to be the best but if 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 you just have the if you just have the balls to just go and just charge and do it and even if you wipe out you're completely respected. And so that's just the way I grew up. And so growing up into that, like, if you can see how that translates to Bitcoin, like, you know, I look at it as, yeah, we're just charging in Bitcoin. Like there is no trying in Bitcoin. You either, you either put your nuts on the table and, and double down mm. and, and, uh, and buy Bitcoin and hold it and, and learn, or you can talk about it like some of these idiots on television and keep be, and, and continue to, you know, juggle these intellectual balls and, you know, most people over time figure out that you're full of shit. And so it's like, who do you want to be? And so most real Bitcoiners have put their uh, women and men, sorry, women, you got balls too. Um, you put your balls on the line and you know, you, you have your conviction and you have your beliefs and you've, you've stuck by them. And if you stuck the, the people who stuck by them have, are being rewarded for that. And so, I mean, that's kind of how it works in a nutshell. Huddle, do you have anything to add to that, man? No, I think the pirate puts it uh, puts it very well. Like skin in the game and conviction and following through on shit and standing for something uh, because you believe in it and uh, mm -hmm. not be not because you're scheming some kind of scammy uh, project or narrative that will make you rich from something that's not true. Agreed. So, so then the next question then is like, what, and I'll get you guys to give me some examples each, but you know, what, what were some of the early seeds 
that you guys think in your lives and you go back as far as you want to, you know, like, you, you know, your dad smacked you in the ass or some shit, like, you know, whatever it is, but what, what do you think was some seeds that were planted early on? And Pirate, I think you alluded to it with like, you know, surfing and skating, but like, you know, maybe some specific stories. I think, I think people will relate to that is like, you know, I, I know me personally, I had some, you know, quote unquote at the time I would have called, you know, traumatic events, but that I look back on now in my life that, you know, really helped condition me in some way, shape or form to be, you know, uh, a bit more of a contrary, you know, I was, I was like that in, in school and things like that. So, so do you guys have any stories about some seeds that were planted uh, for you or some events that happened along the way that, you know, you came out of those, you know, being more, uh, contrarian in nature but like, like I said a true contrarian which is you know someone who's actually found something that nobody else is seeing at the moment that is you know that is objectively true as opposed to just doing it just for the sake of being fucking different you know so like what, what are some seeds for you guys or what are some early stories I'm really curious mm, I think probably uh, like my experiences with grown-ups as a kid uh, that I quite early like realized with 100% certainty that uh, a lot of grown-ups were absolutely stupid as fuck and didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, so I think I kind of stopped trusting the authority. I stopped trusting blindly the authority of people in positions of authority. So that led me to like the second nature of actually investigating things myself to see if they held true. Mm, uh, I, think, I think that, that must be it. Like I had this, like even my relationship with my dad, uh, even like uh, that we were very different. And uh, I was like, from a pretty young age, I started, uh, started uh, the habit of, finding out myself uh, what I was going to think about stuff instead of being told. Was that different to your peer group though? Like, were you, were you sort of like the black sheep um, at school or did you, did you have a peer group that was also, you know, more renegade in nature? I think we were pretty renegade, like my peer group as well. Uh, but mm -hmm. I do think I was kind of uh, going a little deeper with it. I had like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could share the most interesting stuff I was thinking about when I was younger. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cause see, see, I, um, my experience when I was younger was I, I was always really, 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 uh, academically strong. Um, so I was always really smart, but I was always the, you know, the little shit causing trouble and getting in trouble at school and just sort of doing things my way. And I think part of that was, you know, when I started school, like I came from an Eastern European family um, and, you know, grew up in Australia and like English wasn't actually my first language. Um, I spoke Macedonian initially and I remember going to school only speaking Macedonian and <laughs> just being this fucking weird kid speaking to the rest of the kids. Like I still remember at lunchtime, I've got this like flashback memory of um, speaking to this kid who was my friend at the time. And I'm just literally just talking to him in Macedonian. He's just looking at me like, what the fuck are you saying? And, um, and, you know, I was sort of like, I got picked on initially and then, you know, I, I kind of, I fought back and, you know, gained the respect of some friends. It was sort of like these, these early sort of formative uh, experiences, which, 
you know, th that alongside, you know, my dad was really hard on me as well. Like my dad used to drill into me and my brother, you know, he, he sort of, he, he was the sort of the classic archetype of a, of a parent who, um, you know, wasn't happy with his life. So he projected uh, his dissatisfaction with his life onto us um, and, you know, wanted us. And, and I guess it came from a place of not only disappointment, but of sort of, of, of love, but, you know, he, his way of uh, representing that wasn't very, uh, how can I say, um, you know, politically correct, you know, to say the least, but, you know, he would beat the shit out of us and ensure that, you know, we, we understood that we could never be in what his words were like another number, um, you know, like, you know, or what he also used to say his favorite word is, you know, you can't be a nobody. Um, and, you know, the threat always loomed over us was that when we were turned 15 or 16, he'd throw us out, out of the house. We'd have to sort of make it ourselves. So it was kind of like these, you know, I, I can sort of point to, you know, a lot of that stuff, which was, you know, quite tumultuous in my early years, but it, you know, it really, I was always the black sheep in my group. Um, I was the black sheep, whether I was at school um, or whether I was in, you know, in the group that I was hanging out with, um, even in my family as well. Like, um, you know, my, my brother wasn't really academically strong, but I was. Um, and it was sort of, also being the older brother was kind of interesting. So, so it was, you know, it, it's the older I get, the more I look back on those experiences and sort of think about how, you know, how they shaped me. So, it's um yeah. growing up, is, growing up is fucking stuff. brutal right it's, uh, well it is it is but that's the beauty of it because it makes yeah. you who you are right yeah so that's interesting in terms of how people yeah, young uh, young kids are growing up today how much more protected and planned everything is for them yes like uh, back when i was young I, I, I was basically like just roaming free all the time uh came home from school no one was home for a couple hours I just w walked out the door whenever i wanted spent the whole day unsurveilled uh, with my friends like roaming around the wherever we could doing all kinds of stuff and today like parents know where the kids are what they are doing tracking everything from second to second basically it's uh it's kind of almost scary how different uh, these situations are just from basically a couple of generations back or one generation even. Yeah, we're, we're building complete fucking conformists. I actually wanted yeah. to... Uh, we're, building we're building compliance machines, I think. That's it, yeah, yeah. Fucking robots. Yeah, and, yeah, that, and, and you see that. Uh, you see, I just have to say this sorry part. Like, no uh, worries. We had, I've been at one demonstration here in Oslo, like a COVID demonstration, just a completely peaceful thing, obviously. Uh, but quite a lot of people, I think there were like four or 500 people. And I didn't see one single person that was under, probably under 22 or something. It was like completely devoid of young people, like mm. zero opposition and zero questioning of the narrative. Yeah, the, the real interesting thing now um, with kids is social media and phones. Um, I notice it just just with, you know, kids in my neighborhood, their phones are their their faces are always buried into their phones. And when I grew up, you know, my dad taught my mom and dad taught me to greet people. You know, if it's an older 
older person, you know, how you doing? And you, you get to know these people because they're your community and kids aren't like that these days. They're so wrapped up into their phones. And then, then you think of that on a social, uh, you know, a, a sociological level. And, you know, I, I, most people know that I've, I've worked in social gaming for years. Um, and so watching the evolution of social media and social gaming um, and just seeing how certain just experiences that shape you as a human, like just when you're young and you're, you know, when I was young, we didn't have phones. So, you know, if I needed a, a date with a girl or if I liked the girl, I had to write her a note or I had to go and I had to go and, uh, you know, talk to her face to face. Imagine that. And, and I look at, you know, kids these days and I mean, you can, I mean, they're texting each other. I mean, think about how anonymous that you could have, you can have like the biggest, biggest balls behind a phone but like when you're when I was young you had to go up and ask that girl um so I mean if you're a, if you've got a silver tongue as a, as a young kid and you can you can text text some awesome stuff I mean you could probably date the hottest chick in the school and you could probably be the biggest run um whereas back in the day th- yeah. you know that that hierarchy was a lot different you know yeah so anyway so, but yeah Pyra, did you did you do you have any stories of like sort of your formative phases like when you were a bit younger yeah when I was young you know I my dad my dad is an athlete um and he was you know he was a he was a coach and then he he became a, a PE teacher and as, as he continued his coaching um career through college so my whole life I was always pushed into sports and and like, I just hated traditional sports. I like to play soccer, but like, you know, I hated baseball. I, I, I hated freaking football. Um, but I loved surfing and because I grew up across the street from the beach. And so like, I was always ditching school to go surfing and my dad was pissed off because I didn't go to practice. And so I, that's the black sheep in me. I, and I didn't care. And like, I, I can remember vividly being in the principal's office and, you know, she's trying to scare me and be like, Oh, you know, you're going to get thrown out of school. And she's like, I'm going to call your dad. And she calls up my dad and, and she rings him up and, and she's like, yeah, I've got Ryan here. And he's, he's in the office. He was caught ditching school and blah, 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 blah. And I, and my dad's like, well, what do you have to say? And I said, dad, the waves were good. <laughs> and he just goes, well, you know, the consequences. And I said, yeah, it's okay. I'm cool with it. And, and I remember the, the VP just looked at me like, like what this little asshole. And, and, and that was me in a nutshell. I just didn't care. I didn't give a fuck. And, and it, it actually hurt me a lot. And in many ways, I, I, I look back and I wish that I gave more of a fuck because I think I, I lost out on some things because I was so into what I was into. Um, but as I grew older and I started a company, um, you know, with, with a couple of friends, um, that mentality helped me because again, my family thought I was crazy. They, you know, all my friends thought I was crazy. They all had safe jobs. They, they were telling me how I needed insurance and all these different things. And, and that same, I don't know what I, what it is, if it's the asshole in me, the black sheep in me, the, the, the contrarian in me, it just said, you guys don't understand. And, you know, I ended up selling that company, uh, we ended up selling that company, and it changed my life. So from that, I don't know, I, I, I sometimes think it's a blessing and a, and a curse, but I just think it comes from just the way that I grew up, you know, it was, it was just, it, I've always been a black sheep, and I just kind of never gave a fuck. And I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've, 
I've had to change some some of that because that just doesn't work in your adult life <laughs> you know like I've learned about burning bridges and and that kind of mm. stuff but like the one thing that's still the same with me is like and I think it's why me and Hoddle Knot are such good friends is I just like you can tell when you when you listen to him he's a no bullshit guy like what you see is what you get with him and I noticed that all of my friends that I that I'm really close with they're the same there's no fake in them they're real people that we're all different I may not agree with everything but I know that when I'm with them or when I'm speaking with them that that it's pure and it's it's real and and so you know at the end of the day I'm I'm um, I sometimes question some of my decisions when I was younger, but as I, as I aged to where I am today, I feel like I've, I'm, I'm a lot wiser because I, I, I didn't just follow the herd and I didn't just, cause I look at some of my friends and they're fucking miserable, um, mm-hmm. in the way that they decided to evolve. And I'm sure you guys have experienced this. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, so I've heard from both of you guys and even I said, this is sort of like the, the idea that you know, life experiences along the way help sort of, you know, act as formative, um, formative pressures on the way we have become contrary. And so, so, you know, th- there's always this argument about, you know, how much of it is nature, how much of it is nurture. Curious to hear what you guys think about that, because, you know, I, I actually, before I say what I believe, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about like where that mix is. Is, is it nature and nurture? Is it one or the other? What, what's your thoughts there? I think it's definitely not one or the other, at least. I was actually yeah. thinking about it when you were talking, Alex, about your childhood, that uh, mm. that you, like, what happened, like, the rough things that uh, happened to you, kind of, you kind of powered through it, and it has actually mm-hmm. helped you or mm-hmm. formed you in a positive way. But that's uh, that happens with uh, some people. Other people, like if you have the the nature was uh, of another type, you would mm-hmm. fold from that, and it would make you into a you know a defeated person, uh, like basically a, a typical yeah a victim, a typical herd member, you know, uh, just seeking safety in the herd and uh, just uh, yeah being a victim of life basically. So. <laughs> Uh, I think it's it's a mix, and I think uh, I think actually a lot of it is nature, to be honest. Uh, but if you have the the fire in you, or if you have have not the fire necessarily, but whatever you bring into this world, when you are shot out of the vagina into meat space, uh, that will, to a large degree, dictate the the course of your life. I think, and at least it will dictate how you respond to challenges like uh with what type of energy you respond to uh yeah so it's a mix for sure but uh i would i would say that nature is that most important in terms of who we turn out to be i agree i think there's i think it's a little bit of both um i do think that you know there's people in this world like like hadonat was saying that will respond differently. Like the way that you grew up, Alex, like they might, it might, it might wreck them for their whole life. You know what I mean? Because I don't know why they, or, you know, you might be like yourself who just didn't let them hold them back. If anything, you empowered you. And so that's the part that I think is genetic, but the actual act of 
you know, being like my dad, my dad was a hardcore dude. Um, you know, I see it now that I'm a dad and, you know, I see it with my daughter and, and like, I have to stop myself and be like, nah, dude, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make her walk down the path that, that you had to make, that you had to walk down. Like, I'll just give one little story. Like when I was a kid, we used to go to the lake and, uh, we used to go water skiing. And, uh, I remember my dad threw me in the lake and he said, you're not getting in the boat till you can ski around the lake. <laughs> and I mean, that's crazy shit. That's all, you know, I remember crying my eyeballs out and I can't even believe my mom allowed it. But, but by the end of the day, I skied around the lake and then he gave me a pocket knife. Um, and, you know, like he taught me through that, which I would never put my daughter through that, but I see what he was doing. Um, he taught me to push through, like he taught me to push through adversity. And so mm. I think I can teach my daughter to do that differently, but I do see how to this day, sometimes when she's being overly sensitive, maybe I'm not as sensitive as I should be, but then I catch myself in that insta second that I'm not being sensitive and I become overly more sensitive. So my nurture, I'm a lot more nurturing than my, than, you know, my parents were. Um, and I do see that, I do see how the nurturing of the way my dad nurtured me um, also made me into who I am. So I think, like I said, it's a little bit of both. Um, and you don't want to, you don't want to, um, you know, what's the word? Dull somebody's light when they're young is the way that I look at mm -hmm. it. Because mm -hmm. if you dull it too much, they're going to, they're going to forever, you know, wear that um, and, and carry that along with them. So yeah interesting topic well it's, it's yeah. crazy right uh, when you're a parent uh, like uh, i don't know if you have kids alex but uh, i have a daughter too and like quite often i i catch myself thinking like where the fuck did that come from like some some reflection or some sentence or some character trait that i kind of haven't seen before that just i know for sure that uh <laughs> that this this is something she just brought into the world you know like uh, mm -hmm. she she wasn't taught this this was just like some kind of energy that's purely her and uh yeah it's really interesting topic yeah i think the, the way i kind of think of it so i definitely agree with both of you it's, it's a nature and nurture thing so i kind of view it as you know like you you're, you're born as something and so so I, I would say people like us for example we're born as like an iron rod um, and along the way, um, that iron rod can either stay blunt or it can get sharpened. Um, and I think, you know, those experiences are the, are the sharpening of, you know, the object that we kind of are. So it's kind of, kind of like a mental model through which to view it, you know. So, mm. so I think, yeah, for, for me, nature is, is fundamentally important because I've, I've always battled with that. You know, I've always thought about, you know, the, an example I use that I learned um, when I was doing sort of in, in my younger years, I was, you know, sort of studying, you know, the mind and NLP and all this sort of shit. And, and, you know, an example that I used to use was the story of um, two Vietnam vets. Um, and this is sort of where the idea of meaning comes in, which I think is extraordinarily powerful is, you know, you got these two guys um, and they both have a traumatic experience uh, in Vietnam. So, so they're, they're completely unrelated stories, but, the, the outcome of the stories is completely different. So, so one guy, he's there with his best friend um, and they're, you know, they're, they're sort of getting shot at and they're in a trench um, and he, his best friend's next to him and a fucking stray bullet flies, shoots you know, his fucking friend in the head and brains and fucking blood and guts and shit spits out all over him and he watches his best friend die. 
and it's the most traumatic experience for him of his entire life and you know it's sort of he carries it around with him for the rest of his life now um the meaning he takes from that is that i will never get close to anybody ever again because the pain of losing someone i care about so much is too hard so you know the the his life takes on a certain trajectory based on the meaning he associates with that event. Um, now, the other guy, he's also in Vietnam with his best friend and they're sort of running through the jungle and his friend's running ahead and he steps on a fucking mine and it blows him up, fucking arms and legs and shit flying everywhere. And, you know, it's the most traumatic experience of his life. Um, you know, he carries it with him forever. And, and the meaning he places on that event is that, uh, you know, you never know when the people you care about are going to die um, or you might lose the people you care about. So I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling everyone that I know that I love them, that I care about them, that I'm going to be with them um, because, you know, and, and that meaning that he associates with the event puts his life on a completely different um, trajectory. So it's, and, and for me, that was one of the most profound learnings I got when I was really young. And, and that I think has been one of the most profound pieces of, um, I guess, call it learnings or a mental model or whatever way you know one would frame it but that 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 i've carried through with my life is that you know shit always happens um and it's it's the meaning you associate with it and, and I, I would sort of uh credit that notion of meaning w you know with I, I would think the first person who probably really taught me that was um was sort of tony robbins but you know he he sort of i think took that um or or enhance that from Viktor Frankl's work, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. So I think for me, that, that uh, you know, that nature, that meaning, that um, sharpening of the object that you are um, is, you know, it's all extraordinarily powerful and, um, and, and, and meaningful. Um, yeah, I think you talk, uh, I think this, archetypal philosophy you talk about here is it stems basically from stoicism i think uh like i mean stoicism is all about following your nature uh mm -hmm. and uh not assenting to impressions like in the sense that okay you see a friend step on a mine uh and you like your immediate uh, uh interpretation of this is that it, this is absolutely horrible and uh, you, you may uh, label some kind of very negative uh, label on it that will basically lay foundation for yeah what what you take away from it but i mean the what happened in itself should not be labeled uh, as good or bad because we don't even know you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it should be as much as possible like accepted i mean obviously you will be sad because your friend uh, got hurt or died but uh, we are we are usually way too quick to just uh, instinctively ascribe some kind of uh, interpretation uh, yep. to something uh, which often can be very like non-productive or non-positive for our lives so i always try to like stay stoic about things and just uh, not put too much meaning into them just okay this happened and accept it and then I don't even know if it may turn into a positive around the corner you know it's, uh... 
yeah well, that, that even goes a bit deeper is like it's sort of um you know at what point do you actively turn it into a positive um you know because because yeah. in in, in in many ways, like I, uh, an old example I used to use is sort of, uh, you know, Hiroshima. And I used to say that, you know, one could potentially make the argument. I'm not, and I'm not uh, advocating here the fucking, you know, the, the atomic bombing of anyone, but, you know, one could make the argument that the fact that bombs were dropped in World War II is the very reason why we had never dropped another bomb of that sort uh, ever again. Um, because we now know the, you know, the, the catastrophe that uh, would potentially emerge. So we sort of created a, um, you know, a, a level of deterrence. And, and that's an extreme example, but I think it, um, you can we, sort of we draw used, that conclusion. We used that horrible event to learn something from it. And uh, basically it became a deterrent instead of, I mean, in some crazy parallel universe, maybe we used it as uh, proof that... Uh, the world is evil and horrible and just started bombing more you know I mean, you can always mm -hmm. choose to learn from something choose to just uh, do one productive or good piece of uh, act from it yeah th that's the that's the because i guess you guys are probably like me in the sense that you know not deterministic um you know i, th I think you know Determinism has its place, which is, you know, if you like, for, for example, for me, like I look at Bitcoin as almost something that's uh, inevitable and deterministic, but, but not because it just randomly is by some sort of divine right, but more so because of um, uh, the analogy I use is if the train tracks uh, are leading somewhere, it doesn't matter who the, the, the operator of the train is, um, you know, the train tracks still lead somewhere. So, so, so direction helps uh, dictate destination, but, um, you know, the, we, we can actively change the direction. So, so you know, determinism is uh, real insofar as, um, you know, we can uh, ascribe a direction to it or we can understand the direction we're pointing um, with respect to where we're going to get. So, uh, Parat, do, do you have any comments on that, man? Yeah, you know, I just have always kind of, I'll use a, a term that my dad always used. He said, you can be the hammer or the nail and who do you want to be? And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, I, it's funny because me telling these stories, it kind of gives you a, a little insight into who I am, but yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. we make our own destinies and you know, the way we, we can't react to, we, you, no one can predict how you react to trauma, but when you were talking about uh, the, the, the Vietnam story, um, it made me think about this guy um, that I met when I was going through a tough time. And he said, you're, you're usually a positive person, but, but, you know, I don't know what's happened to you. And I said, I don't know either. And he's like, well, you just need to try to be more positive. And I remember I hated that. I, I hated hearing that at that time. Um, but as I thought about it, you know, over time. And as I still think about that, like, I really try to do that. I try to look at things and bring the positive into it because like, what is the alternative? And I don't know, that's my way, uh, I guess that I, that I cope with things or whatever, but um, that makes me who I am, but we do have a, we do have our, our internal will and, and some of that we can control and we can't, but 
when you're in a dark place and you tell someone to be positive, it's really hard to be positive. But if you do it incrementally every day, if you try to, if something shitty happens to you, whatever, and you, you look at it and you go, you know what, I don't know what this is, but something's going to happen. Something's going to come of it because this is the way it needs to be. I, I don't know. For me, whatever that blind hope is and, and that little like thinking of it in that light, that's what keeps me on the track that I need to be on. And I noticed that people that I know who are super negative, they're, they are apps. They're the, the opposite of that. And I look at where mm. they are in their lives and it's like, well, maybe if I was negative all the time, maybe that's the way that I would be. Maybe they, that's why, you know, that's, I don't know. For me, it, 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 I think you, you set your destiny and, and internally and you have to, you have to decide what you want to do. Like I said, be the hammer or the nail. I, I, I can't handle being the nail. Some people don't even know they're the nail and that's the real sad part. Dude, the fucking hammer and nail analogy, I think, is the best. Like, I, you know, in, in psychological terms, it's, it's are you at cause or are you at effect? Or sort of what Huddle was saying earlier is, you know, are you the victim um, or are you the victor? And, and I think that is such a, such a powerful heuristic. Like, it's, it's a powerful principle is if you're, if you're the nail, then you're always at the effect of something else. You're always the victim. You're always, you know, something is always happening to you. Um, whereas if you, if you're the hammer, you are at cause and, you know, and, and that takes, I think this ties into what me and, um, Francis and Dave were talking about on the remnant podcast a little while ago is sort of this, you know, the world is suffering from, you know, first and foremost, the renunciation of responsibility or, you know, or the way, um, uh, the way Francis, uh, described it, which I loved was, um, you know, the incessant ass covering and plausible deniability, which is sort of like shuffling you know, p- putting everything onto someone fucking else. It's like, oh, it's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. It's not me. It's, it's someone else. And and that I think is the fucking, like if, if I had to point at what's the root of all evil, it's literally that. It's like the renunciation of responsibility. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the being a fucking nail at effect, you know, being the victim, the perpetual victim. And it manifests in really ugly ways from like the oppression Olympics that we're fucking seeing is like, I'm more oppressed than you. And, you know, and, and sort of the, we're all in this together and you should feel guilty because you're killing grandmas and whatever other fucking stupidity um, we're fed these days. I think all is rooted in that um, renunciation of responsibility. A victim society. Actually, I, I love that podcast uh, that you guys did. And I want to get one of those blue wristbands. I told that story to so many people um, about the blue <laughs> wristbands because it, and, and I mean, it's, it's, it's just a testimony uh, to what, what kind of sheep people really are. Um, and I don't want to digress, but you're, you made me think about this. Like I just, I just did a trip, right. To, I just did a road trip to Florida um, for almost three weeks. And like, it was amazing uh, being on the road and going through different states and, you know, staying in hotels and Airbnbs and like uh, just eating, eating in various restaurants. I did so much stuff that you're not supposed to do. And I'm not going to lie at first, when I took off on the trip, I was like a little nervous, you know, like I don't want to get sick and you know, that kind of thing. And, and I, and I, I wasn't like, I wasn't like scared or nothing. I was excited, but I was still kind of like cautious. And I noticed towards the end of the trip, I was just, I didn't give a shit. And actually towards the end of the trip, we were in Key West. Um, and like, I, I remember just sitting there, we, we went into a, a brewery and I'm listening and I'm hearing a really bad version of a song. And I'm like, holy shit, 
that's live music. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. And I'm looking around. And, and so we walked, we, you know, we're walking around Key West. It's kind of small and quaint and, and every bar is open. They're packed. Um, there's live music in all the bars. People are stumbling around drunk. And like, this is like, quote unquote, risky behavior. And I was also lectured before I went down there by somebody um, that unsolicited lecture that said that if I was going to Key West, I better be careful because people come there from all around the world. And so, you know, the super duper 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 strains of, of COVID is going to be down there. So I got to be really careful. And so at that point, I just looked at my wife and I said, well, I trust my immune system. We got super immune systems. And, you know, we went down there and we had ice cream. We walked around and did everything probably I shouldn't have done. I didn't drink, uh, but I don't really drink that much anyway. And, you know, we made our way back home and I'm back home. And, um, you know, as I reflect back on that trip, you know, you know, so many people warned me not to go and how, you know, the super duper strain is out there. And, and, uh, I guess I've, you know, what I have to say is, you know, Florida is a really interesting place. There was another night that I was out at dinner and nobody in the restaurant, including the wait staff, including the, anyone that worked there, nobody had masks on. And I even, I, at that point I had forgotten to wear a mask because in that area, it wasn't really, it was like probably like 80% not wearing, 20% wearing. And I remember sitting there and my wife looking at me and my, my baby, you know, my, my daughter, she's two, she's playing and, and she's like, oh my God, this is the first time I feel normal. Um, we fully forgot our masks and we were just like laughing about it. So the dichotomy, um, you know, of then coming back to where I live, um, the state that I live in, which is an, a quote unquote free state and seeing how ridiculous um, the city is being and the counties are being like, I don't know, like it, it, it really just kind of pissed me off in, in many ways, but it also showed me that like, again, um, that black sheep in me, that contrarian in me, um, you know, just, it's like me not, me not accepting it and me, me listening to all the facts, but not accepting it. And then going out and testing the waters on my own. And I've done this multiple times and I have never gotten sick. And so it just, it, it makes me realize that like, I don't know if I'm evolved or maybe I'm stupid, or I don't know if I have an innate ability to channel bullshit, but like, I can call bullshit on all this crap that we're seeing. And that's why not to don't totally to to bring this full closure. That's why when I listened, I was listening to that podcast while I was on that trip and I was like, yes, 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 yes. And, and then we scheduled this podcast and I was, it's kind of ironic that I just told the story. <laughs> so. Awesome. Huddle, I know you wanted to mention something earlier. I don't remember. It was uh, <laughs> before, before pirates started talking with, I don't remember what it was, but uh Sorry, dude. Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't anything important for sure. But uh, it's really cool to hear that you had such a great time in Florida. I think uh, I read something about how this uh, Roy DeSantis is the, is it called governor of Florida? Ron DeSantis, he's the governor, yeah. Yeah, like how it's being demonized by corporate media in the US now because Florida has such an open policy and uh, it works. Their economy is not wrecked. And uh, so he's like, basically fucking up the narrative of uh, how important it is to close everything and mask everyone up. What was interesting too is that whole grandma thing that I, I debunked that whole thing as well while I was down there because there were so many snowbirds in, in Florida, like, and every place I went, there was 
elderly people there. They weren't in fear. They weren't, they weren't in a fetal position. You know, some yeah. of them wore masks, who cares? But a lot of them didn't. I remember being at a restaurant. This is, this is a weird thing. We were, we, I was in Jupiter, Florida, a really nice restaurant. Uh, we walk in and you had to have a mask to get in. And, and so, you know, that's whatever. And so uh, my wife, my wife and I, I just wear it. I wear it around my, uh, my neck. Uh, so like, it's like, I'm going to pull it up, but I just leave it there and I don't put it on. Um, and, and unless they're like, Hey, put your mask on, but I just leave it there. So like, it's, it's not a wristband, but it's a neckband and it, and it seems to work. And my wife wears a gator. And so we're walking in and it's such a, it's so stupid because you're having to walk by the bar. So, but if you're sitting at the bar or standing at the bar, facing all the people that are walking by, you don't have to wear a mask. But if you're walking by them, you've got to wear a mask. So at any rate, we, we luckily got a table. The place was like 100% occupancy. Um, and I remember walking past, you know, and, and in my mind, I'm like, this is surreal. Like this is, I haven't seen this in like over, a, well, it's been a year basically since I've seen a crowded restaurant or even had this experience. And, and I'm all, should I be nervous? I'm like, nah, whatever. And so I walk and I see this old man and he's in a wheelchair and like, he's in an electric wheelchair. And I mean, this dude had to be in his eighties. Um, and he's just chilling there with, you know, his wife and his family and enjoying a night out in a crowded restaurant, not scared. Um, every day I saw, you know, I saw, I mean, we're talking 20, 30, 40, you know, old people, uh, old people, seniors, sorry, sorry to any old people listen to this, but, um, you know, out there exercising, having fun, living their lives. So I don't agree. And I don't, I, I don't buy into the whole, you're going to kill grandma. They, you know, grandmas and grandpas are just like we were only just, you know, it's 20 years, 20 years ago. So I don't know, dude, I, I after, after going through all that, it made me really like, and, 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 and then knowing that my friends in California and, and, and hearing these teachers up in Chicago saying, you know, they can't, they can't go back and teach teach kids and then they're releasing you know these these videos these dance videos um interpretive dance videos mm, of their mm, emotions like morons. i viscerally was getting pissed mm, mm. oh dude it's <coughs> um i mean i i haven't stopped traveling the entire time and you know i i've been arrested a couple times now um for you know refusing to put on a mask and all that sort of shit because i uh, I'm conscious of my own health. Um, I know, you know, the decision I want to make, but it, it, it's the, the rules, the, the arbitrariness of the rules um, genuinely, genuinely fucking make me angry. Like, you know, where I'm at the moment, which I won't mention is, um, you know, you, you've got to fucking wear a mask while you're inside the gym, while you're training. It's like, do you want to like, <laughs> the whole point of training at the gym is so you can fucking oxygenate your body um and you know these idiots like will 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 give someone a fucking heart attack for their safety you know they'll make someone hypoxic um in the process of protecting their safety it's like it just reminds me of like like we're living a and, and i wrote about this in utopian dystopias it's like we're living in a some blend of uh 1984 and brave new world where you know it, it's it's not complete dystopia it's not complete fucking uh, blind, uh, drugged up utopia. It's some weird version of both. And, and, you know, sort of like, I think Orwell's prescience in sort of talking about how, you know, two, two of the strongest tools that were used by the government at that time were, um, or in the, in the narrative at least were, 
the the removal of words from the vocabulary. So you constrict the vocabulary, make it smaller, make it um, tighter, make it, you know, uh, de, 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 um, like basically cancel culture is, is what we're seeing today in, in, in that sense. And then the other one is just straight up fucking double speak is like you call shit that's not science, you call it science. You call, um, you know, you, 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 you behave like complete fucking morons. Like the, 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 the funniest one is in the airports. It's like in the lineup getting onto the plane, everyone's got to stand two meters apart. But when they get on the plane, they're sitting next to each other. It's like, what <laughs> Ridiculous. What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Those contradictions you're talking about are, are so asinine. Uh, oh. Like not only in, in airports, but like even in like hotels, for example. Uh, you know, I would stay in a hotel and they would be like, they, they, the Hiltons, they put a, a seal on the door, like, you know, yeah. like, like a bottle, like bottled water. <laughs> it's just like, so I, so I break the seal and I open. it's the last night and it's and all the hotels are, are booked. So we got the last room and we got a baby, you know, so we check, we open the door and I swear it smelled like, it smelled like five Rastafarians were in there smoking weed for like days. I mean, it was, it was that bad. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, oh my God, like, I mean, I, I smoke weed and I'm okay with that, like, but I don't do it indoors. I don't do it around my daughter and I would never do it in a fucking hotel room right before I knew people were going to come into. And like, it was that bad. It, it, it was making me sick. And so we ended up, you know, opening up the door, opening up the windows, airing it out. But as I'm going around, I've, I'm finding a, we I found a piece of weed on the ground. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, but the fucking seal is on the door. <laughs> it was just a joke. But oh all those God. those type of content. Oh, and by the way, they had a fucking hand sanitizer uh, dispenser on the wall. So, you know, if you come in and you want to, you know, squirt a load of hand sanitizer in your hands, <laughs> make sure you lather it up. It's just <laughs> like you said, it's all contradictory bullshit. Yeah, yeah. The oh man, the, the that also reminds me of like how they wrap everything now in plastic. So it's like, um, you know, like all I see is F plus machines in like plastic wrapping. So I'm like, so okay, what's that supposed to do? It's like unless you were like physically ripping the plastic off after every single person touched it, it's like completely redundant. Like it, it, it is plastic not a surface? Like it's just fucking wild man like honestly we're it's like a it's like a twilight zone but it's it, it's interesting how you know i think at least from what i noticed bitcoiners were sort of the first people to to call bullshit on all of this crap um in the first place and, and, and i know you you two guys in particular um Seyfedin was fucking solid on it in the beginning. Um, you know, uh, Francis, um, I, know I, I wrote an article on the fucking second day of the lockdown saying, fuck Corona, lockdowns are bullshit. So it's like, you know, we sort of got bashed about that shit from the beginning. And, um, and it's, just, it's just interesting to see how, you know, what we warned about, which is, you know, the, the precedent that we're setting now with yeah. lockdowns um, and with, you know, handing over complete power to a fucking set of retarded bureaucrats is going to turn yeah. into to you know the the main problem right now is that like it, we failed as soon as we accepted the initial base lie because mm. as soon as you accept that this is something 
really dangerous that we there is that's worth like mobilizing huge uh, measures against i mean then then you kind of get lost because now we have this base layer of bullshit lying underneath that this is fucking dangerous and and we end up discussing all kinds of second third fourth layer bullshit that's based on a lie that's based on a lie that's based on a lie so like we already like float seven layers of shit over the base lie which so that, that that's what's so dangerous with accepting that first precedent of uh, lockdowns and uh, the narrative just uh, morphs out of control as soon as uh, as soon as we depart from rationality on the base layer yeah, it's gotten yeah. really. Sorry, go ahead. Go down, bro. Uh, I was go, gonna go, say go. it's just gotten, it's gotten so. What's the word? Just mired in bullshit. There's so many layers of bullshit that, yeah. like, I feel like these politicians don't know what they're doing, so they're just doing something so that they're doing something to cover their ass, kind of like you were talking about. But they've done it for so long and the narrative has changed and wandered and and here we are and it's at a point now where like they they put like you know when someone lies so much that that they can't remember their lies and then they're at the end of, and you're just looking at it and you're just like this just doesn't even make sense and then you add on all the, the like we're I feel like we're also in a information war like there's we, we're hit with so much different information, competing information. Some is fake, some is real, that it's to the point where like, I'm just at a point, literally, even if I like what I'm hearing, I don't believe anything that I'm hearing. I, you know what I mean? I, I just don't anymore. Um, it's, it's so, and, and that's where I think most people are, unless you are, unless you are indoctrinated and you continue to go and, you know, get your news at CNN or, or, or one of these major, you know, indoctrination networks um, that, you know, that's those type of people seem the most like susceptible to this, but then there's people like Hoddle Knot and me and you, Francis, and a lot of people who will probably listen to this podcast who we see through it. And, and I, I think we're more disgusted than ever because we see how much liberty and freedoms we've lost through all this. Yeah. It's, I get so funny, mad actually. thinking about I get so mad thinking about all the generations before us who fought for these liberties and how casually we gave them away. Yeah, yeah. Like at, at this moment in my country, Norway, it looks like uh, I'm, I'm not really up to date uh, on if it has been uh, put into effect, but uh, the government is asking for it being going through parliament, asking for the power of curfew, like uh, basically not allowing people out of their homes, uh, because that's not, uh, I mean, it's not constitutional and it's uh, completely foreign thought for this country. The last time we had curfews in this country was in 1942, when it was imposed by the German occupation, uh, because of some uh, resistance fighters had uh, done some shit and they basically shut everyone uh, into their houses that was that was only after a certain time of the day and now they're asking for the, for that power based on a virus that has killed 500 people in this country when 2000 people die from a regular flu season uh, and the average age of the dead is 82 years old what the hell is going on like how is that even possible that you can ask for the most draconian measure of 
locking people inside their homes, which hasn't been done in the country in peacetime. What the fuck is going on? Or what yeah, about I, the, I, the, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, just to add in there, like the WHO just came out and said that the, you know, that the, the virus came from, probably came from an animal. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's ridiculous. So they went to Wuhan and, and, and they're gonna, you know, they're, 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 they're carrying the CCP's uh, narrative for them, basically that, you know, it was from the wet markets in, in, uh, in Wuhan. And it's just like this, this constant bullshit that they're using on us to, to sway our opinion and to sway our narratives uh, or to sway the narrative in their favor to do what they want to do, lockdowns, curfews. Um, it's just really sad to me. Like, it, I, I, it, it, there's not much you can really do other than ignore it. And then you have to pay the consequences like you did, Alex. Like, you got arrested twice. Yeah, I think um, the, like what you boys just said is like, you know, our, I said early on that th th this period of history is a, a period where our ancestors are going to be rolling in their graves, wondering what the fuck they fought for, um, you know, yeah. for, for the freedoms they apparently fought for. They'll be like, look at these fucking clowns. Um, and future generations are going to look back on us and think, whoa, that was embarrassing. Like, that's the most pathetic era of humanity um, to ever mm -hmm. exist. And I actually think this is the most pathetic era of humanity to ever exist. Like, I don't, you know, all these morons like Steve Pinker and these fucking Weinsteins and all these idiots who sit there and talk about, oh yeah, but you know, we're prosperous. It's like, shut the fuck up. It's like we, we are living in the era of uh, patheticism. Like it, it is like, you know, it, it's, we, we're squarely in the, in the, in the third innings or the, you know, the third chapter of like the, you know, strong men create good times, uh, good times create uh, weak men, weak men create, bad times we're right there at the moment we're right in the fucking guts of that um and then sort of you know the the final emergence and fourth chapter is you know the 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 hard times creating strong men again but you know i i don't know like me and Giacomo spoke about this and i don't know how long that cycle lasts but i think we're squarely you know in that and and, and it doesn't even need a conspiracy theory, uh, you know, or the need for like uh, unscrupulous people in the background, um, you know, pulling strings. It doesn't even need that as an explanation. The, the only explanation we need is that you have a bunch of people who are trying to place the responsibility for this shit onto someone else. Um, and in doing so, um, everyone's sort of running for cover and trying to say oh it's not my responsibility it's someone else someone else will fix it someone else will fix it and 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 that what that's done is it's it's removed the capacity for for people to deal with anything in their lives themselves and they assume that someone else is going to do it and that creates this sort of vacuum for decision making in which you know a couple people who like you know want to play god for everybody and make decisions for everybody um, even in the, like some of them might genuinely, uh, you know, you could maybe call them evil, but a lot of them, you know, who are in, you know, government and writing policy and everything, they're just fucking dumb enough to think that somehow, uh, you can make decisions for everybody at the center and somehow, 
um, you know, that is going to be the right thing to do because somehow this is the first and last virus that humanity is ever going to experience. And if we do this this time, we'll never have to do it again. It's like, it's such a shallow, incompetent, moronic, limited, um, you know, incomprehensible point of view that it's, um, yeah, it, it's genuinely embarrassing. Uh, you know, me and I had Godfrey Bloom, the the old uh, UK guy, on the um, on the show the other day, and he was talking to me about how in the in the middle of World War II, um, you know, you, you would be allowed to you know go to a cinema, uh, you know, watch a movie, and as the bombs were dropping, the 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 conductor or whatever they're called, who's who's sort of running the um the film, he'd tell people it's like, uh, oh, you, you know, they're, they're dropping V2 bombs. You can either stay or you can go back home. And people had the choice, like when bombs are dropping. And at the moment, <laughs> here we are, it's like um, you know, basically nothing is happening. Um, and we're all fucking hiding like uh like pansies. It's 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 embarrassing. Like it's genuinely pathetic um like you said weak weak people are in are leading right now weak people are leading and that's what just it, it, just listening to what you were saying just i get viscerally pissed off like thinking about mm. you know all of uh i i get pissed off for people that aren't pissed off like i'm thinking about mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. my nephew he plays football um, his whole season was fucked, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's it. That's why he went to school. He's on a scholarship playing football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about my other friends who have children in college or children in high school who like their graduations, their senior year, like, you know, their, their senior year and going into college, their first year of college, which should be just super awesome years. Um, you know, they're fucking learning from home. And then I just heard my other friend, um, his kid goes to a California uh, school. So, it's the dorms are open, but the in-class learning is not open. Is that the dumbest thing you've ever fucking heard? I mean, what do you think a bunch of cooped up college kids are doing in the dorm rooms? If there really mm-hmm. is a pandemic, they're having sex, <laughs> they're hitting the bong and they're drinking together and they're all commingling in really tight spaces. So, I mean, like, do you, it's just, none of it makes sense. There's no consistency from one end to the other. They, they use excuses. They use excuses to you know to basically bullshit people and then you hear stories like that like hey there's bombs dropping uh anyone want to keep watching the movie and i guarantee you there's probably half that theater was full back then yeah 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 that that, that was the 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 age of humans we're the age of sheep at the moment Uh, fucking couldn't be more embarrassed to be a human at this point in time Um, i think we're more non-sheep than we kind of feared though I was just thinking what would happen if, if they, if you were at the cinema now and they would say like bombs are dropping, uh, you want to stay or go home? I think like, like some percentage would still stay, you know, like as we were talking about that, you're, that nature is a big part of who we are and not only nurture and mm-hmm. following that logic uh, means that there, there should be quite a few people out there who, uh, who aren't really weak they are more like maybe dormant you know Mm. i think people are non people don't like confrontation even myself um i don't like confrontation so i try not Mm. i try not to make drama now my wife yeah she's the she's a like the kind of person that like 
she doesn't care. She doesn't, she, you're not going to tell her what to do. Um, and so I, and sometimes she'll tell me, Hey, you grow some nuts. <laughs> like, Why are you being so compliant? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it's because I don't like drama because I'm more afraid that of my reaction is, will be like, I might end up having to choke somebody, you know, I might have to, I might, I might get physical. And, and I know Hoddle and I, you were, we were talking about an experience where you were in, a, I think, a store and you're with your daughter and, and you, it was all about a mask or something and someone confronted you and he was being super disrespectful. I mean, you can, you can finish this, but I mean, it made me think of you of like, you know, I'm, I'm a lot, I, I would respond just like you, um, or I might've responded like, you. I probably would have ended up hitting the guy, but anyway, you can tell the rest of the story. Yeah. It was some, uh, this was like, I don't know, three, four months ago, I guess. And we were at the grocery store. And uh, I mean, it's not mandatory to wear masks uh, where I am. It's only if you can't maintain one meter distance. And this shop was like not crowded, crowded at all. It was easy to keep distance. And one of the employees uh, approached me. I was there with my daughter and my fiance. And uh, uh, this employee said that, uh, excuse me, you need to put on a mask. And I said, uh, no, actually, I don't. And it's like, uh, I, I'm completely aware of the of the laws on this. And this employee just um, kept saying that, yeah, you need to wear a mask. It's like uh, new rules or something. And then I just pulled up on my phone the actual law and showed him. And at that point, some uh, other customer decided to step up and basically started screaming at me like swearing that uh, I needed to put on a mask straight fucking away you know so my daughter got immediately scared of course like this grown-ass man started screaming at me uh, and I just felt oh, I felt so fucking angry like both because of I was just following the rules basically I wasn't doing anything wrong by any standard and in front of my daughter this guy started screaming at me basically threatening me uh like it kept uh, just circling me for the rest of the trip through the store like mumbling how i should be beaten up and uh, this and that and like how i was such a horrible dad and all this and there was no way i could like i mean i <laughs> the last thing i wanted to do was to escalate it while my daughter was there so but i don't know what would have happened if i was alone uh, i'm not sure if i <laughs> if i would be able to control myself and uh uh, I'm sure you had a lot of this type of incidents as well, Alex. If you if you uh, try to avoid wearing a mask. Mhm, mhm. In Germany, multiple times, multiple, multiple times. I almost punched an old lady. <laughs> I just had yeah. to leave the fucking shop before I punched someone. Yeah, <laughs> um, pe- people seem so willing to like step it up into aggression against people uh, who, yeah. who don't. Yeah. Who don't. And and this wasn't even a question of complying. I was I was I. The only thing I didn't do was over-comply. I was completely compliant. Uh, and still this guy felt the need to rage and want to start a fight. So it's uh, pretty wild uh, tendencies in humans we're seeing. Like the whole the whole snitching thing as well. How snitching is back in <sighs> heaven. What the fuck? That's, uh, and snitching is like almost seen as a virtue at this point you know it's uh, because we're all in this together and uh, you're basically a domestic terrorist if you have one guest too many in your house so then the neighbor needs to do his duty and snitch on you 
it's again, yeah, that, 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 that's the epitome of, I mean, this is why I think like Ayn Rand's work, I mean, I'm sure you boys, have you boys both read Atlas Shrugged or? I'm uh, actually reading it uh, as we speak. I'm like halfway through. Okay. Okay. I haven't uh, read it, but I'll right. check it out. Bro, you, you need to, man. Like it is the playbook. Like it is the guide for what exactly is happening now. And the way she just sort of paints the picture of how society yeah. devolves into exactly what we're seeing at the moment. Like it's it's literally like you're, it's written 70 years ago, but it feels like it's she's describing exactly what's happening today from the intellectuals to the people sort of eating each other up and turning into snitches and sort of like, you know, the, the example that she uses with, um, you know, with one of the, the factories that turned into um, a factory instead of paying people by um, their merit, um, you know, paying them by their need and how that sort of turns into a, it's a, a, a parasite that eats itself up until it fucking collapses is we're sort of seeing that in real life action now. So like, I encourage anyone who's read this, like if I had to pick of the thousand books I've probably read in my life, if I had to burn everything and just keep one, I think I would pick Atlas Shrugged because it's like her capacity to take, the the soundest of philosophies and weave them into a compelling narrative is something that I've not seen any other author do to that extent. Like it is, it, it's just how how things can derange is um is genuinely is genuinely frightening. But I guess something has to emerge from the rubble. So I, I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that as a final thought. But I I want to take the conversation into a slightly different direction um after this do you got do either of you want to add anything to that all i would say is that i i'll definitely read atlas shrug but on this note um the one thing that i feel like we we did kind of leave out is um is the ability for like with technology to manipulate minds and to to push narratives. And I think if anything, we've seen, we've seen in the last year, how powerful, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, big tech, social media, um, just the way that people and humans get their news and communicate has been severely compromised through the platforms, like whether it be, you know, on Facebook, all Twitter, all where, where people are just getting all this information, um, people gravitate to the information they want. And, and I believe that is one of the biggest uh, causal effects to why people, why we're in the time that we're in. This has been an evolution of 10, year, 10 15 years, but I think, I think until we figure out a way to, 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 to get people to, to get, to take time offline, to, to disconnect more and to, to take away from these type of platforms, I, I feel like we're going to be a weak society. I, I yeah, I, I actually think let's, let's pull on this thread. So, um, you know, Stephen Cole, who I was, uh, he, he's a Bitcoiner and he mentioned yesterday and I actually challenged him on it was he sort of mentioned, um, you know, one of the things he sees as a positive is these networks where people like us can connect and we can sort of build communities and we can, you know, we can think outside of the box, even though we're not physically connected together. And I kind of pushed back. I said, well, look, yes and no. Uh, you know, I said at the same time, had it not been for these interconnected networks, um, hysteria could not have swept the planet um, as much as it did. And, I, and you know, I kind of made the point that as much as 
governments and you know central planners and all these idiots and like the media to blame for uh you know for lockdowns and for mandates and all this it, actually a big part of it is uh us looking in the mirror and pointing the finger where it belongs which is at ourselves for 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 enabling the mass hysteria to spread um and and i don't necessarily mean you know us three in particular because you know we've sort of not to blow smoke up anyone's ass here but you know potentially been you know voices of reason in amongst the hysteria but i think that a lot of this hysteria is fueled by um people because you know they, these networks are mimetic in nature they sort of they, they spread you know virality uh kicks in i i don't think something like this could have been pulled off like they, they actually attempted it with the swine flu in 2012 that fucking moron Niall ferguson whatever his name is um he made the same predictions that he did with corona back then but this time that there just happened to be enough interconnectedness online for it to spread like fucking wildfire and basically lobotomize everybody <laughs> and you know remove any capacity for critical thinking um and drive everyone into complete um fear and hysteria which is the best time for any mandates to be passed down because you know when people are shitting their pants um it's quite easy to get them to agree to just about anything so so i i, I think these technologies are a you know in, in some ways they're a positive in some ways they're a negative but but i think their their unnatural ability to um to almost uh, be the be the arbiters of information is actually a function of the fact that they are uh, unnaturally large, and they're unnaturally large because they are unnatural beneficiaries of uh, the excessive capital or excessive money that is being created out of fucking thin air. So, so I think you know this is where the Bitcoin fixes this meme really comes in is that it's not that private corporations are bad. It's that a monopoly on money exists, which enables some private corporations to get an unfair advantage over others and therefore build a moat, not of adding value, but of um, you know, a, a, a regulatory, a, a monetary moat through which they become unnatural market monopolies. And as a result, uh, you know, can then dictate discourse. And it's sort of like a flow on effect um, all from the printer. So, so I know that, that that's a big thought there, but I'd love to hear your guys' um, thoughts, and you know, let's pull let's pull on that thread for a little bit. You go first, part. <laughs> Just throw him in the fucking deep end. All right, you answer it. <laughs> well, I mean, I see where we're at right now, and I see where, like, I don't know. My take on my take on Bitcoin and how it fixes this, um, and this might get a little too philosophical, but I've since the day that I found Bitcoin um, and and really wrapped my head around it, and as I as I started to see people's lives changing because of it, um, people being able to work on things that they want to work on versus like having to have a job that they hate, um, you know it was really cool. Um, and, and, and during the last bull run, we saw a lot of people escape their normal job and be change their lives. And, and they became, they were able to work on things that they really wanted to work on or that they were passionate about. But then, you know, 
2018 came and and the door shut and uh we watched a lot of people you know have to go back to those jobs um well here we are in a, in a different cycle and we're starting to see that again and and like during that initial cycle i, I just had this thought that that bitcoin could could be almost like a renaissance like like it would empower people who who invested in it to have the financial means to be able to work on things that they love start businesses that they believe in uh you know eat better um and and change their lives and i feel like we're just on the cusp of that right now um and what we do, one thing with innovation is is you can never really speculate what's going to be in the future um and you never know what you never know how like for example before lightning network was even a even a thing you know before it even it wasn't even really an idea you know there was that was the big debate is why you know people just can't spend bitcoin very easily and it can't send bitcoin really easily the fees the fees the fees and of course back then i said well someone's going to innovate something and and they'll they'll solve this this problem because that's how technology evolves is there's always a problem and technology is used to solve the problem and i had complete faith in in the future devs um and here we are and we're watching all of these these things evolve well i i believe bitcoin is going to continue to evolve and as it evolves um, and as it goes up in value and as we have more of you know the michael sailors and elon musk's um you know seeing what we've seen for so many years um you know that's gonna that's gonna drive the value up and when the value goes up it's gonna give a lot of people financial freedom um and i believe that that could be a catalyst to change uh the future and 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 that isn't some pie in the sky type of thing i mean i believe bitcoiners people who are hardcore bitcoiners who who really understand the technology and are here for for the right reasons um you know and and i don't i think most of i don't want to explain what those right reasons are but i think most of you most of the people listening to this will understand that um i believe those people will be rewarded and i believe those people will be able to do whatever they want in their life and they'll be able to support causes um that they believe in and and i just believe that the that the Bitcoin ethos that I carry are some of the same Bitcoin ethos that Hodlnot and you carry. And to be honest, I would rather you guys be helping to invest and evolve, you know, companies to develop things or whether it be just you Bitcoin friendly or, or people like us get involved in the power, the power um, structure of, of the world. But I believe that Bitcoin will give people the financial means and the freedom to be able to follow those pursuits. And that renaissance could hopefully sway us back to a better future. Did I do a good, did I do a good job with that? <laughs> totally. I mean, like, you just want me to spin up on how I see Bitcoin developing from here or uh, like, what, what was the question really? Because... Dude, I, I think so. So, so I love what Pirate said. Um, you know, I've it actually, funny enough, ties into the next question I was going to ask. To have kind of fast forwarded, but you know, I, I was kind of making the point earlier, and I, I can barely even remember what the fucking point I was making earlier was. Something along the lines of um, uh, how technology, in some ways, isn't. Yeah, that's right. Is an enabler, but it's also mm -hmm. um, you know something that has enabled things like. Like it's enabled people like us to connect, 
um, mm. in sort of like the plebs and all this sort of stuff. But it's also enabled like fucking mass hysteria, right? And 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 one of the points I sort of made was that you know whilst technology has traditionally been neutral, when you throw in a a monopoly on money, what you end up getting is you end up getting these sort of unnatural technocratic type um, you know oligopolies emerging that make mm. Uh, technology instead of a neutral tool it sort of turns it into a um, a political tool in a sense which is yeah. I think much much of what we've seen with um, you know with these fucking so-called platforms these days so anyway th thoughts on that yeah. and then you take wherever you want to yeah I think uh, absolutely that technology can like that in itself it's uh, not good or bad but it can be used for immense good and immense bad and it can be used and it can be abused and there is a lot of i think addiction is probably like probably the what makes it dangerous is uh, how it can be used to trigger human dopamine production um, like basically make humans uh, do stupid repetitive uh, uh, mindless actions that uh, just uh, feels good uh, uh, almost uh, also like information uh, addiction as well like this constant uh, reducing us almost to constant just consumers of information without ever really digesting it or reflecting on it and one one of the things I think is most scary I don't think too many things are scary about technology but one thing I think is scary is and this goes for me personally as well. I try to avoid it, but how precious little time we spend just reflecting on shit these days. Uh, because the moment most people have any kind of downtime, they just, you know, muscle memory, pick up the phone and they go to the usual apps of distraction or consumption of information. And uh, before, uh, smartphones I and mean, I spent shitloads of time just basically thinking like whenever I was on the bus or uh, often when I was I was just bored sometimes you know just sitting around processing shit in my brain reflecting on stuff and I do that much less these days and I, I have the impression that whole generation so young people now never do it because they're always distract themselves and something some type of development of the brain must get lost in that process if you just cut completely cut out long long periods of just processing and coming up with your own shit you know so the combination if you're a, like a weak person or a person that had a shitty childhood and just wants to numb himself or herself with the uh, content or information it's so available all the fucking time and you can basically just uh, shut out processing the things you should actually process to be a complete human being uh, so that's scary that we are and possibly that's why this covid thing bit so hard now because people are so unable to personally process information these days they they, they got used to just consuming pre-digested uh, shit and uh, talking points from talking heads. Uh, so yeah, uh, we created uh, quite the situation and 
I really, I'm not sure how this will play out, but I'm pretty sure that the first step to get out of it is to have a base layer of truth to build our society on and to build our lives on. And now we have that with Bitcoin. And I think Bitcoin both incentivizes and inspires people to to do more of like this type of exploration or uh, reflection on who they are and how they want to live their lives and what type of principles they stand for and everything because truth is inspirational and bitcoin is truth manifested uh, in our reality uh, everyone can verify it and obviously we never had this type of and like uncontested uh, truth that everyone can just agree is true. I think it's cl- it's cliche to say, and it's been said a lot by many, but there is something extremely powerful, I think, about building on something that is absolutely true. And I think it yeah. has the potential to just kind of grow up from the Bitcoin base layer, you know, and infiltrate uh, people and society. Yeah, this is, it's, it's actually, you touch on something important there is sort of like the, the reality of Bitcoin. So these days when, you know, people ask me, it's like, oh, when should I sell Bitcoin? I'm like, you know, what, why would you, why would you sell, why would you trade your real money for fake, you know, funny money from a fucking fake government? Like I, I always try and frame it like that and people are like, huh, what do you mean? And that sort of opens up the question because I think the, the, the reality, the real nature of Bitcoin, I think is so fundamentally important because it like, you know, when I get asked, uh, you know, oh, how, like, what will these, gov- what will governments and central banks and everything do to sort of like, you know, kill Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you, you can't kill real with fake. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can, you can play the game for as long as you want. You can lie to people, you can twist them. You can, you know, you can lie to yourself, which is in reality, what central bankers and everything do is like, they, you know, they believe mathematics is two plus two equals 438. You know what I mean? That's their form of economics is they just make shit up. Um, and the, 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 the fact of the matter though, is that in reality, they're depleting their capital, they're, they're, they're destroying society. And this, this actually also really just ties in so nicely with Ayn Rand, where she talks about like, A is A. And when you try and, you know, convince people that A is actually B, um, it's not only that you're lying to them, but you're lying to yourself. And what you do is you erode the, the, the reality upon which society is built. And that bubble can only go on for so long until um i like a good analogy to think about it is you know looney tunes and wiley coyote when he runs off the side of a cliff you know he's running and he's like he's off the side of a cliff and then at some point he looks down and realizes that there's no ground there and um and you know reality or gravity catches up and and i think bitcoin's uh you know the the fact that it's so rooted in reality the, the fact that it is you know an objective truth um means that at some point you know via the force of economic darwinism via the force of just personal self-preservation via the force of um you know real capital being eroded based on fake fucking economics fake principles fake policies fake governments you know the 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 allure you know the the allure to go towards something like bitcoin is its gravitational force uh manifest and and people will just sort of run towards it as just like the only place that they can fucking survive and the only place that they can um exist and and 
like for me it's not a matter of you know if bitcoin wins this bitcoin's already won it's like it's, it's when and my like only concern along the way is like how many people get hurt along the way by the flailing and drowning clown show that is the um the existing fake establishment um and that's sort of um i i just think that the real nature of bitcoin is just a really important point because when when we have that real foundation we can actually build shit um you know when we build on a fake foundation you know there's there's a reason why the house fell down um which is where we are now the fucking whole thing's crumbling um pirate did you did you have anything to add to that yeah there's a there was obviously a lot said and I, I don't want to interrupt anybody. Um, just thinking about back on the technology question um, about these platforms, just to follow up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hot or not. Uh, he struck, he struck something inside of me that made me really think about like the dopamine aspect of, of how these social media and news outlets, however, whatever you want to call them, these platforms work and how that has helped indoctrinate people in a way. I mean, if you think about like your likes and your retweets and your comments and, you know, all this shit. Um, and then you also think about just uh, contextual marketing and you think about like, you know, you could be just sitting there shooting the shit with your girlfriend or your wife and say, hey, I want to buy this this xyz and then you know all of a sudden you look at your phone and you got an ad there and uh you know the next thing you know you know you're seeing a a commercial on youtube about it and you're just like how the what the hell you know well that's all deliberate um that's all very calculated uh marketing and so these platforms you know they they have every bit of personal information um on you know, the people that people just willingly give up and they've learned how to weaponize that and to, you know, create, um, they've weaponized these social, these social uh, media platforms to, to basically, you know, not only market to people, but they can also push narratives. Um, And so there's too much power there. And, and it's kind of like, where where you have you evolve the conversation to there is too much power there and and the one truth that we do have um is or a shining light that we have is bitcoin um because of the trustlessness of it um and the found like in other words we all we all agree that it is what it is the people we all agree that it is what it is and we all know that that no matter what any country or anyone tries to do um they can't kill it they could they could try and regulate it and 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 and, uh and it would the price would drop but with that foundation and as we notice more people are running to it and as more people start to see that this this that bitcoin is a place that they can trust that it's going to make them realize that everything that they were taught and everything that they've been fed um the people that aren't aren't necessarily as, as aware of, of the bigger picture as maybe the three of us are, um, it might sway them to a new way of thinking. And, and, and then as Bitcoin gains traction, it, 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 it gets back to what I said earlier of where I believe this renaissance um, and this rebuilding can start. Because like you said, uh, you can't just 
you can't just keep hiding real with fake. They 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 they're experts at that. Um, and unfortunately, I think as more people and the one thing that they that I think they've miscalculated on is all the central banks printing so much money. They miscalculated on on the damage that that does, but also too they they miscalculated on a pandemic on top of that. Um, you know, you start messing with people's freedoms. That's one thing. Then you start messing with people's monies and businesses and livelihoods. That's a whole nother thing because when it all does blow up, which I don't think it's all going to blow up, but when, when, when people finally start to get, become more aware and understand uh, that re, that we aren't necessarily free and that their only option at freedom right now really is like Bitcoin and disconnecting from these places, that's where I feel that we can start rebuilding. And we can, and and when that does happen, and when and and more people get on board with that, that's when I believe we'll start to see change. And I believe Bitcoin is a is a is a catalyst to that. It, it, it's a catalyst, but it's also like I think the um the the, the thing is, you know, in the absence of Bitcoin. Um, I mean, me, me and Jeff Booth were trying to talk about like, you know, what's the scenario, what happens uh, in the absence of Bitcoin? Because, you know, the, the, the slippery slope theory takes hold here is, you know, shit, uh, as it gets worse, um, in an attempt to make it better, um, you know, central planners actually make it worse. Um, and, and at some point, it's, it's almost like a harmonic, right? It's, um, you know, it sort of, it, it shakes, it trembles, it trembles, it trembles until it fucking all crashes and burns and, and, and breaks, basically. And, you know, we're not at the stage of the whole thing breaking down yet, but, you know, with, with Bitcoin as, you know, Bitcoin does two things. One, it accelerates uh, that collapse, but it also provides a, um, an opt-out uh, beforehand so that the whole thing doesn't fucking come crashing down on top of everyone. But, you know, we, once you've set the precedent that, you know, safety is more important than freedom, for example, or that rights are more important than responsibility or that equality is more important than fairness or whatever other fucking stupid political notion is, um, you know, is, is peddled these days. What you do is you, you skew society towards a path of, um, you know, cannibalizing itself, you know, it removes responsibility. It, um, you know, it, it, it pushes consequences down the track. Um, you know, we create, a society that's really just built on these thin dependencies where um where, where, where we, it, it's completely fragile like there's there's no there's no robustness left in societies like you know someone farts in um in asia and then fucking you know all of america breaks down for example like it, it's just it, it's so um it's so thinly veiled at this point that you know the, these these idiots are doing everything they can to try and hold it together but it's kind of and i've used this in the past as what I learned in when I did stunt driving actually in America was, um, you know, the, the first thing they teach you when you get in the car is they, you know, they, the instructor yanks on your fucking steering wheel. So you start losing control. Um, and you've got to uh, drop the urge to grab hold of the steering wheel and try and gain control of the car again. What you do is you let go of the fucking thing um, and you let the car stabilize itself. And, and this is, this is sort of the, the thing that will never um, happen so long as uh, any individual institution, group or foundation can have a, a, a hold on the lever, on the most important lever of society, which is money. So, so the thing is, um, in order for a government or a central bank or a central planner to validate their existence, they have to prove that they're doing something. 
but the best thing they can do is do nothing. So if they sort of do nothing, then it, it, it means that they don't need to fucking be there. So they should just fuck off, but they can't do that. So they have to do something and everything that they do actually makes things worse. It's like the Cobra effect. Um, and, and what, what I think like for me, the most powerful attribute of Bitcoin is that it in demonopolizing money in ripping money out of the hands of any group, any individual, any fucking government's capacity to fucking run. Um, it then, like it, the, the flow on the second, third, fourth and subsequent order effect it has on society is that we start to bring real economics back into play. You know, bankrupt uh, uh, institutions, whether it's government or whether it's these stupid fucking tech startups that, that start that run non-profitable for 10 years because they operate based off um, fiat funny money being printed and handed down from banks to VCs to them. None of that shit can exist anymore. Like you, you actually like to run a business, you then have to look after your customers. You have to give a shit about your customers. If you send to your customers, they'll go somewhere else. Um, so, so all of this stuff that we're seeing today, which are aberrations of whether it's freedom of speech, you know, freedom of opinion, freedom of thinking, critical thinking, all this shit that is happening today is purely in my mind, a function of the fact that governments and central banks can run fake organizations that are bankrupt because they've got their finger on the fucking money printer. You break that and you start to have an effect on everything else. And I just think that that for me is like the most important part of Bitcoin. You know, all the other things that we, you know, will see coming from that, which is people who've sort of managed to develop wealth, who can now think about things that they might want to start and, you know, sort of being less dependent on, you know, the man and all that sort of stuff. I think they're all subsequent order effects but like the most important thing like the 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 eye in the, the sorry the stone that hits the eye of the goliath is demonopolizing money you know separating money and state and, and that that's like the part that gets me so fucking excited about bitcoin because there's nothing else that matters like everything else pales in comparison i think for sure um that was a that was a good one no it was a good one <laughs> thanks bro <laughs> the one thing i thought of what that you know the why you were saying what you were saying and i 110 agree is like think about if we didn't have bitcoin right now like mm. like think if we didn't have this like we wouldn't we'd be feeling so much different like bitcoin gives me the confidence to say fuck you you know what i mean like because we are prepared we have an exit strategy we we're not we've opted out of that system that we know is going to implode yeah yeah oh man it's it's scary to think what we i mean especially people like us who are a little bit more renegade in nature i don't know what the fuck i'd be doing um have you know with bitcoin not existing i mean it, i can think of two things i'd be either you know, you know, some nut job entrepreneur, you know, running some sort of tech company or whatever, um, or I'd be fucking uh, some lunatic living in a jungle. Maybe the third option is I'd be some mercenary or some shit. Like, I don't know. It's like, I, 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 it's fucking scary to think, man. Well, think about it this way. Like, like right now, I mean, you just watched this last election cycle. Um, I mean, they just deplatformed like the president of the United States. They, they took away, I, 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 and and his, you know, whoever surrounded him, they deplatformed him not only on, um, you know, 
just like their merchant accounts and for them to take money. So you start to think about the implications of this. Like, so if there wasn't Bitcoin, like how would we be, would we be having these same conversations? Would we, would we feel free enough to do it? Would we, could, could the banks decide, could Bank of America decide to, you know, look at our bank account and decide that, you know, we bought a gun and we live near the Capitol. So we must be insurrectionists. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what's going on right now. That's fucking creepy. So to me, like to think of life without Bitcoin, it's and and then, you know, because the reason why I say this, because, you know, people that I know who aren't who are no coiners and they they look at me and they're like, oh, man, you're you're drinking the Kool-Aid. And then Mm. I get pissed off and I'm like, no, you're fucking drinking the Kool-Aid. If you think (laughs) your money's worth anything, like literally like. Like I'm right now looking at my money melting in the banks here. I'm are like, it's not a red flag when they, they, they're going to print. I think they printed 40% of the supply, uh, um, you know, 40% more of the supply uh, um, than when they, before, than when they first started printing 40%. That's fucking nuts, dude. I don't know how accurate that it was. I saw that on Twitter. I think it was Anthony Pompliano. But, so I mean, same shit. Who like who? Who even knows? To be honest? I know at twenty five percent, it's bad. Knows. I mean, exactly. But I don't know. So I always go back to that. Like, what if we didn't have Bitcoin? Like, where would we be? Would there be something else? Um, I don't know. But it scares me, right? Doesn't it? So back to the point. Bitcoin it would probably is probably gold bugs, don't you think? Possibly. That's a good point. People would yeah, be working on know, spacecraft. Man. Gold bugs are fucking battered women, man. Like I, I, I think they've all got battered <laughs> woman syndrome because they've sort of they're so disillusioned that they've been banging on about gold. But gold, like I think, fuck, who who said it? Um, but isn't it the best? Someone said it. But gold, gold failed, man. Gold failed. Gold fiat is actually, um, you know, gold 2.0 in some senses because gold failed. Like you can't like it's a it's a non-scalable money. It genuinely is. Like as much oh. as gold is hard money. It's a non-scalable mm-hmm. money. I think I would still stack it if there was no Bitcoin, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or you know, it might be worthwhile fucking just stacking cows and lead um, at that <laughs> point because, um, you know, I, I just don't see. Yeah, um, absolutely. I get, yeah, I guess in the absence of Bitcoin, like, you know, the, 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 the money would end up converging back onto mm-hmm. gold, but it's like... It, it, it will continue to fail um, because it's, again, it's not a scalable, um, it's incompatible with a, um, you know, a, an, an advancing technological society. Like it just doesn't yeah. work. I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of always just looking for a foothold, right? Uh, and we will, we will stand up on the strongest foothold we can find. And at the moment, mm. I mean, Bitcoin is the strongest foothold uh, I can imagine ever being. Uh, and I'm, it also kind of, I think it's interesting to think about what is most correct if if it's most correct to say that uh, Bitcoin was invented or that Bitcoin was discovered, discovered because yeah. it's totally such a fundamental and like digital scarcity. It's uh, I, I I don't think I could even like it, it, before it was. Uh, discovered i guess uh, it was magic I, I i would think it was magic i grew up with pirating all kinds of digital goods from games to movies to music it was like if it's digital it can be copied right it's, uh... how dare you 
but uh, yeah, it's it's a huge discovery or a huge invention either way, and uh, it uh, totally changed the game and possibly the trajectory of uh, humanity. I think. Yeah, gents, two more questions before we wrap this up. Um, I don't know which one I should start with first. Let, let's let, let's let's do this one. Outlooks. Um, what's each of your sort of like short, medium to long term? And you, you can sort of place whatever frames you want on this. Like my short, medium to long term is sort of like um, three years, ten years, and twenty five years. Um, you know, you can place whatever uh, outlook you want on that. But talk to me about what you guys think you know, the world looks like, you know, what's, what's Bitcoin doing over that period? Like, I'm, I'm really curious to hear it from, I guess, the, the viewpoint of plebs. Let's, um, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I really don't think I speak for plebs or most plebs mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. that's what speak the pleb is. It's just its own person, right? And uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, to be honest, I, I, I really don't think too much about the future I, I think more about make, making all the right steps in the present according to what i feel is right to do and then i just mm -hmm. <laughs> accept or welcome the future as it manifests but i mean if you ask me now that it will just be like my reflection on it right now and i i <laughs> on the note that we had earlier about uh, choosing uh, how to interpret things and I think I'll I'll just choose to be positive but uh, I mean I'm sure there will be fucking turmoil and mayhem and uh, all kinds of bad things happening uh, as this uh, em empire of lies collapse uh, but I think uh, it will be a beautiful thing to behold uh, to see good people unite around truth, unite around Bitcoin, unite around building real things. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm positive uh, long term. I think we're in for a really rough ride though, uh, 100%. Yeah. Pirate, talk to me. Yeah, um, I, I for sure don't speak for the plebs. Um, I hope that every plebe thinks for themselves and if they think i'm full of shit then good for you um but you know i i kind of feel the way that um hot or not I, I i approach life that way um when it comes to price action stuff like i don't really get involved in that um to be quite honest i'm totally i'm not shocked that where we're at i'm just shocked we're here this soon um and i'm shocked that that we're seeing um you know companies like uh, tesla um, who I consider like one of the biggest tech companies in the world um, with, you know, considering that and with with one of the most progressive, I wouldn't even want to call them progressive, just just free thinking CEOs like Elon, love him or hate him. I mean, the guy, um, the fact that he had the, the foresight to not foresight, just the common sense to. Uh, put that kind of money into Bitcoin is is an incredible thing for Bitcoin in itself. Just the the messaging that that sends to the world. I hope again we can never put these people up on pedestals because we never know what their true intentions are. Um, he could he could do a rug pull and make some money or do whatever he's going to do, but the fact that this is happening and we're watching this happening now um, just tells me we're headed in the right direction. Um, but I 
I do feel like uh, there's going to be pain in the, you know, I don't know what kind of pain that me, what, what pain that brings or what that means for you or I, but I do know that I'm smart enough. Um, and I'm, I'm tactile, uh, I'm tactile enough to be able to navigate whatever comes at me. And, and, uh, you know, I, but I do think we're in for some rough times. Um, I'm already seeing it, uh, you know, just in my travels, just looking at real estate, um, looking at um, costs of things. Um, it's, it's, um, I just think that we're in for some pain, uh, but I'm very thankful and I'm very bullish on Bitcoin. Um, that's yeah. It. Yeah. I, I think I kind of summed it up yesterday is like uh, short term, um, I'm, I'm bearish, mid term, I'm neutral, long term, I'm bullish. Um, and again, yeah, echoing what you said, part is like, I couldn't give two fucks about price. Like, um, the thing is, like, I, I, I no longer view, uh, you know, Bitcoin and dollar prices. Like, all I'm thinking about is um, how much, um, you know, my whatever, because I mean, I, I've got a future in Amber with what I'm doing. And who knows, at some stage, I may exit the company, um, sell it, and then, you know, take that money. And what do you think I'm going to do with it? I'm going to fucking pile it all into Bitcoin, because why would I hold fake government money? But I just like, for, for me, um, you know, f from a Bitcoin perspective, I actually, I don't think we're by any means out of the woods. I think Neil, Neil Woodfine did an awesome tweet storm today, where he's like, you know, we, you know, seeing what happened with Wall Street bets um, as, you know, governments and central bankers start to shit themselves when they see Bitcoin really move. Because, you know, we've seen it move a little bit this year, but man, we ain't seen nothing yet. Um, and when it really starts to move, when they really start to shit their pants, it's going to be interesting how they try and, you know, uh, you know, try and play God with, um, with our capacity to, to buy it, uh, withdraw it and self-custody and all that sort of stuff. So, so I think we're, you know, we're, we're gearing up for what may be the big boss. Um, I, I would have thought the big boss was going to be another, you know, wave or two away, but who knows, maybe, maybe it's going to come sooner. You know, we can never sort of predict these things, but I think from a social standpoint, I guess, I think the next year or two is going to be extraordinarily tumultuous as things like start to, to break. Um, I think, you know, the, these vaccines, I think, are a really unprecedented fucking experiment. And I don't even want to think about what some of the, you know, the, the more weird ramifications are going to be from, from those. Um, like, holy shit, like, people just jabbing themselves with stuff they don't understand. Like, I mean, I don't wish them bad, but fucking good luck to whatever you think in your mind is, you know, going to happen when you, you know, inject yourself with a, with some random fucking substance for something that, you know, is just another cold or a flu. So I don't know. I, I just, I think that with, you know, people genuinely going broke, like I think one of the big ones as well is, you know, people like me and I don't know about you guys, but I, I've been sort of lucky in that I, I run a technology company and I've been lucky enough to be around Bitcoin. So like I've done really well uh, and, and I continued like things that keep getting better for me, financially speaking and career speaking. So like a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, you're just complaining because, you know, you're sort of pissed off. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's like I'm actually in a really good position. And, you know, when I get up and talk about, you know, how dumb lockdowns are and everything, it's not because, oh, poor me, I'm a fucking victim. I'm actually in a better position than I was before. 
what I'm pissed off about is sort of the atrocities that I see of like, imagine being like, cause I used to be in hospitality and I always try and like throw this example out there. Imagine having been a restaurant owner um, or a gym owner or something like that. Who's got your fucking life savings. You've worked all your life in, whether it's a kitchen or as a waiter or some shit, you fucking saved up all your money. You set up a, you know, hospitality establishment, you work your ass off in it. You know, you've almost gotten to the point where you might be starting to make some money. And then the government shuts your fucking ass down. Like, what the hell? Like, do, do you think that person is ever going to go and take a risk again to build another business? Fuck no. And what do you think, what ramifications do you think that has on the real economy of people who are traditionally doing any of these real jobs that are not software or technical based? It's a fucking disaster. So I, I don't know, man. I think the next... Um, year or so and, and apologies for being so pessimistic but I think they're going to be ugly as fuck and um, and I don't know like some parts of me wants to sort of do the Francis thing and you know start building the compound now part of me wants to sort of like be patient sort of just you know keep an eye out on what's going to happen but it's um yeah I think the definitely pessimistic in the short term neutral in the medium and um and optimistic for the long term is sort of my my viewpoint. It's gonna be it's gonna be fucking crazy. So, uh, last question, boys, is um, unless you guys have any thoughts on what I just said, then. But uh, last question is gonna be something a little bit more contrarian, which is: Is there something the three of us perhaps don't agree on? And and I don't know how we discover this, but maybe. You know, do you guys have something that you hold as a as a contrarian viewpoint, um, you know, or, or an unpopular opinion um, that you know, whether it's other bitcoiners or something like that, don't agree with you guys on? Cool question. Yeah, you can go first. Out on that. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm looking hard inside my brain. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think the election was stolen. I, I think 9-11 official narrative is absolute bullshit. Uh, I guess we agree on those. So, uh -huh. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, well, <laughs> I, sh I should have asked, Don't disagree. I should have asked you guys this one before, before we even started the damn call, so we had time to think about it. It's, it's a tough question. I, I just, what, what I find though is that in these podcasts, you know, we all seem to fucking agree on everything. So I'm just curious if there's something that we, we diverge on. Maybe this one. I think there's a lot of people in Bitcoin who are here for the right reasons. But I also think there's a lot of idiots in this space who have figured out how to get on, you know, get onto a lot of podcasts or, you know, that I don't know, they write code or whatever and they've injected them themselves into this. And I just, I don't know that part of this space just drives me nuts like I could do without it completely and you know I know I talk a lot of shit to these people because they bug the shit out of me because I watch them over time and I don't even know why they bug me I wish I could just be like nah but like I know I'm not the only one and you know I mean there's people in this space who I feel are in, in it for the right reasons and I just feel there's people that are in this space for the wrong reasons and I can't stand uh when I see the sheep flock to these people and put them up on pedestals um, without naming names. That's just my thing on it. And I know some people don't agree with me because they think it's all just a fucking kumbaya. Um, and I don't think that way. Um, I'm more, 
I don't know. I'm more on the Francis trip, you know, where like, I don't know, not all Bitcoiners are the same. There's, there's, Mm -hmm. there's some bad actors. I think actually he tweeted something the other day that resonated with me. He was like, and, and I've seen this before and I forget who tweeted it before, but like the next attack on Bitcoin is going to be from a Bitcoiner. And Mm -hmm. I was like, and I'm probably, I'm bastardizing what he wrote, but he's right. Um, So like, I love the fact that there is a sense of community in Bitcoin. I love all the plebs or the plebs um, who are just nobodies, just here, just trying to learn and just trying to help each other. And that's where that's where I find my kumbaya. But when it comes to the circle jerk, I'm sorry, it just fucking it makes me want to puke. And like, like I've even said this before, this probably hurts me saying this, but I don't give a fuck. Like some of these people are idiots and I see people fawning over them they fawn over them for their diet tips for their freaking music tips whatever and it's just stupid that's not why we're here like Bitcoin doesn't give a shit about any of that like I'm here for hard money I'm here for you know sovereign money I'm here for immutable money um, and I'm here for real people who are here for you know no agenda and I don't even care if you're here for an agenda just be honest about it don't be a fake ass bitch yeah he says that yeah okay i i i think this question is too hard to answer because i i agreed with all of that <laughs> but I, I think that, sorry <laughs> i think once you agree on something as fundamental as bitcoin and the follow-on the follow-on consequences uh, of believing in bitcoin i think it, it's hard to like then you you're kind of completely free from the left-right bullshit and all the other mm, cons- mm. constructed polarizations of society, you know? And you just... Uh, I, I have zero issues disagreeing with uh, Bitcoiners or people in general. What I have issues with is people who are fake-ass pussies, as you say, pirate, or... <laughs> fake-ass bitches. <laughs> fake-ass bitches. And... Uh, liars and scammers and basically it all boils down to dishonesty you know it can be dishonesty in many ways but it's always dishonesty and i think being dishonest uh, is just the most fucked up thing you can do to yourself and the world around you basically so i hate that and this is what i like about plebs plebs will not like they won't cover for each other like in other words like that's what drives me fucking nuts with the circle jerk like they'll be like you know, a group of them that are, I call them all Bitcoin famous, which is also a jab at them um, or a joke. Um, the Bitcoin influencers. Yeah. Yeah. The current influencers, <laughs> you know, they, they'll be, you know, they, they know that one of their cohorts or one of their friends that they had on their podcast has done some shady shit, but they'll just be complicit with that. But then that same person will be calling out someone else. And so that's, that's the part of this that I, that it's just not authentic Um, It's anything for clicks, anything for likes, anything for engagement. And like that mentality is like stupid. Like the reason why I love Hoddlenaut and I even like you, Alex, is because you guys are unfiltered. When I listen to you, you guys speak your mind. It's real. I know it's not some script. I know it's not some bullshit. So that's all I got to say on that. Yeah, Mm. same same to you too. Yeah. well, I think that's uh, that's going to be a question that goes unanswered because uh, there's, there's there's a lot of agreement here. <laughs> I think we, um, this is, uh, would be an, 
an interesting tweet thread, I think, to try to map out uh, if we can find something that uh, makes Bitcoin. I, I think probably allegiance to hardware wallets or allegiance to coin mixing service. That's that's where Bitcoiners really start hating on each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. There's, there's brawls and fucking shit there. That's true. Yeah. You're going to say yeah, pirate? I was just laughing because, because, and I don't like to get into this, and I, I mean, I have friends who like treasures and I have friends who like cold card and, you know, I have people who, and I always hear, you know, people say, Oh, cold card. It's the, it's the best, uh, best. It's the most secure. And then I just, I just, I think I forwarded it. Did I forward it to you? Helena? I thought I did, but I read somebody found some bug and some bug in there and with the, with the cold card and uh, they fixed it. I mean, it's all good. Um, but it just made me laugh because that's the wallet wars. They all tell each other how insecure each other are. And it's funny when the one who kind of pounds his chest as being the most secure had a bug in his, his hardware, but I'm from, you know, I come from development. And so to me, like there's bug, there's going to be bugs and everything. It's just good when you find them it's and no one exploits them. And that's, that's the positive. I mean, there's going to people, there's going to be more bugs down the road, but at any rate, sorry, I just thought it was kind of ironic that when, you know, all these different, hardware wallets pound their chest as being the most secure and they each get caught with their pants down. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of cold, funny to yeah. see cold card. Cold card is basically the carnivore uh, hard, hardware wallet, isn't it? Or, uh... <laughs> there's, a li- like... there's a little too much hero worship of NVK. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. NVK hates me. He has me blocked everywhere. I think he blocked no, me Oh, really? Interesting. Because okay. I called him because f- I honestly, I, I think nothing, he's... I have nothing against him. I mean, I think he's, he's a super he's incredible... Makes... He makes great product. Uh, sorry, Parrot. I was just going to say, I, I just got the Block Lock Mini from CoinKite. And I fucking love it. It's really cool. And I, I like uh, like their wallet. Uh, like, like the cold card wallet as well. So, yeah. It's just, uh, I don't think he likes to be criticized or questioned. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I have no problem with, I think he's actually a super amazing guy. I think he's like super, like when it comes to developing and what he's done, he's, mm. he's, he's, incre- he's built an incredible business. Like, Absolutely. I think his value is like super high. It's just, I think his social skills suck and I think he's an asshole to people. Yeah. And I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't like fucking assholes. And if I saw him, I mean, we'd probably be friends because I'm kind of an asshole, but like, don't be an asshole to people and then expect people to like you. And then, you know, and don't act like your shit doesn't stink when like somebody just found a fucking bug in it and i'm not even harshing the dude because i like i'm i literally i'm looking at some open dimes on my desk right now so you know and it just shows my integrity i'm willing to give people money that i think are assholes sometimes (laughs) if they have good shit (laughs) yeah 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 i think maybe 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 the i think that's what um I, I think in some ways Bitcoin is like a microcosm of um, how the world would function uh, without the requirement of a state. It's like, you know, you know, pe- people don't all have to get along. You know, we don't have to like, the, I don't believe in Kumbaya. I don't believe I'm in anything with anyone together. Um, you know, I think we're all individuals and we're all sort of, you know, we, we sort of aligning groups. We have different alliances. We, sh- we share values with different people at different times. You know, everything's sort of dynamic, but I think the beauty of, you know, Bitcoin is a microcosm of, of the macro reality of, um, you know, humanity and existence is that you don't need somebody to mandate that we all should get along and that we all, you know, this mm. is who we should transact from and everything like that. It's like, 
you know, we, we can do this shit um, with whomever we want for whatever reason we want. And, you know, we can like someone, we can not like someone. We, it's just, we sort of, we find our way. Um, mm. And it's just, it's a, that, that's an interesting, um, interesting note to wrap this baby up on. Yeah. Like yeah, my it, opinion doesn't matter. I mean, whatever I think of someone shouldn't affect your opinion of them. And, you know, and I'm also cool. the first one to, if someone's doing really cool shit and even if I don't like them, I'll acknowledge it. I don't, I'm not just a hater. Um, there's a lot of people that I don't necessarily love um, that do really incredible things in this business. And I find myself softening up as I, as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, but I think all of us. All right, gentlemen, um, where can where can people find you? Uh, I, I will put it in the show notes, but if you guys can give yourselves a shout out here um, where people can find you and your work in particular, that'd be great. Mm, you can find me on Twitter, I guess, as Hodlunot. And uh, I make this uh, Bitcoin magazine with the uh, Bitcoin Katya, which is called Citadel 21. Check it out citadel21.com uh, you can also find uh, that project on Twitter as uh, CPDL21 Nice um, Pirate? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter, Pirate Beach Bum um, and then I do interviews for Citadel um, and that's it, I'm nobody special 